Hello to all of you. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to our podcast, which we're calling TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope you've been enjoying these weekly podcasts. Our goal in doing them is to give you a glimpse inside of how things really work professionally and how we work here at Skybridge personally, but also what our friends are like. Uh, This way you'll get to see who we really are, and I'll share with you the many faces of success and wealth and let you in on how many of us got to where we are today. It's important that we all know and understand that we have greatness inside of us. It takes a lot of hard work and intense focus to achieve success, and the road is winding. Uh, But the possibilities are all there. It's up to you to find what motivates you, what your passion is, to get you on the path to real success. Uh, TMI is a place where you can ask us anything. We've gotten some amazing uh, listener emails and traffic and ideas, so please keep them coming. Uh, With many of you, I want you to share your wildest stories, craziest situations, but also tell us about your weaknesses in addition to your strengths. Anything you want, just email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. Uh, just just a reminder, if this is your first podcast with us, I am the founder of Skybridge Capital. I'm also a Fox News and Fox Business contributor. I am the host of the iconic TV program known as Wall Street Week. We took it over from Louis Rukeyser, uh, and we have it on the Fox Business Network Friday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, we run a replay of that show Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and again on Sunday, so there's plenty of time to watch that show. And you could be like my mom and watch it all six times that it's shown. You don't have to necessarily be like her. After she blew me up in the last Mother's Day special podcast where she told everybody that I took the bottle till I was four and a half years old. Okay, it was a little horrifying. But, you know, that's what happens when you have an Italian mom. I'm also the author of two books, The Little Book of Hedge Funds and Goodbye Gordon Gecko. And we have a third book coming out very soon on entrepreneurship uh, and the real strengths and weaknesses of being an entrepreneur. Uh, for first-time listeners, just a reminder, not the typical Wall Street guy. You probably already figured that out in the first three minutes. I live two miles from my mom and dad. I did that on purpose. I believe everybody in life needs a grounding wire, no matter how successful you are. If you're not tethered to something that's normal, you'll lose yourself in your success. Uh, so my grounding wire is to stay close to my family. It's very important to me, no matter how dysfunctional or crazy that family might happen to be. Uh, to stay close to them. Super important, uh, and it makes me feel connected, but also makes me appreciate uh, where I've gotten to in life. Some of the listeners can relate to that. You'll see me in my office. My favorite attire is cargo shorts, which I'm wearing right now, and a T-shirt. But about 15 minutes ago, I was in a Brioni suit because we were taping Wall Street Week. But the truth of the matter is I want to be in cargo shorts for the rest of my life. I also pride myself as a risk-taker, Uh, but mostly on people and ideas. And this is why the guest that I have today is so perfect uh, for TMI. Uh, We're going to talk about taking risk and ideas often here on TMI. Uh, But today, I want to talk about personal wealth creation. We talk a lot about personal success and empowerment and finding your authentic self. Today, I want to talk about taking on the responsibility of the business of you but also the business of your family and how important it is to think about it in the context of maximizing business principles to maximize your family's wealth. Um, I can speak about my own personal experience here uh, where I always thought about myself as having a personal board of directors, trying to manage a personal brand. And even when I was working at places like Goldman Sachs 
uh, Goldman probably be sore at me for saying it this way. I didn't so much as view myself as an employee, but almost as a contractor there, where they were paying me my salary and they were giving me my requisite benefits so that I could perform a service for them. Uh, and as long as that was working in groove with each other, we were good. And if it wasn't, then it was also time to move on. Uh, I always had a burning desire to start my own business. My next guest talks about a lot of the principles that it takes to do these sorts of things. Um, and I want to explore this topic of personal wealth creation because at the end of the day, we all must be responsible for the financial aspect of our lives. Uh, let's be honest with each other. Self-reliance is the most important tool that we can teach our children, and it's the most important tool that we can have for ourselves, because at the end of the day, we should be able to be dropped anywhere, including Antarctica, and have to figure out how to fend for ourselves. Um, money is a very important subject for people. Uh, it's not only helping you acquire objects in your life and some level of material materialism or materiality, uh, but it also provides some level of security but money never comes before people because at the end of the day, you have to have fantastic relationships with honesty and integrity uh, to get yourself to where you want to go. So I want you guys now to meet my friend, co-founder and managing partner at HCI Equity Partners. He spent a lifetime providing the foundation and framework in order to help people think about their own finances as a business. He wrote an excellent book which is going to go up on our uh, our book list on our website. Uh, it's fantastic. I encourage everybody to buy it, not only read it for themselves, but please buy it for your family members and your, uh, and your children. Uh, the title of the book is Family Inc., Using Business Principles to Maximize Your Family's Wealth. Uh, please welcome to TMI Douglas P. McCormick, who loves to be called Doug. Doug, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. It's great to have you on. I want to start with a couple of, you know, honest questions. Um, how do you maximize your family's wealth? Yeah, well, I think there's lots of ways to get to the promised land, but I, I'll let me highlight a couple that I think are underappreciated. The first is, and you kind of highlighted it, um, an individual's labor is in general uh, the largest asset they own. And for people to think about it that way and maximize, make choices that maximize that labor value, through education, through career selection, I think is really important. Um, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurship. You know, you look at the labor markets, it's very competitive uh, to earn a salary over 100000 is very challenging. The capital markets are very efficient to earn 5% a year is not easy. Uh, but when you combine your capital and your labor to be an entrepreneur, I think you can drive really significant outsized returns. And then I think the last thing that uh, people underappreciate is uh, asset allocation. And I mean that more than simply stocks and bonds, but how you spend in your money and other assets like houses and uh, vehicles, et cetera. I'm a big fan of growing wealth as opposed to saving. Saving's not so fun. Growing's a lot easier. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. So you're, you, you have this whole concept in the book about being the family CEO. Uh, so explain that to our guys. Yeah, I think the, the fundamental premise of the book is that um, the family can be viewed as a business. It's got two assets. It's got labor capital and financial capital, and the name of the game is to efficiently convert that labor into capital. has a reputation as well, right? has a brand there, right? Yeah, no, your, your labor is much, simply, much more than simply uh, ours. It's skill sets. It's brand. It's um, past experiences. It's relationships. And I think you need to think about managing labor that way as opposed to how much am I going to make this year. Um, but, it, but in any case, I mean, I think the fundamental premise is that you can apply business principles 
to that financial game of life of converting labor into capital. And when you do that, I mean, I think most people would argue businesses, they don't expect to manage themselves. The family doesn't manage itself very well either. And so someone needs to be kind of seeing the big picture. And it's a very broad role. It's not simply budgeting or saving or paying bills on time. It's ensuring that your family members are pursuing the right professional opportunities, the right educational choices, insurance, retirement. It's a big picture, um, you know, kind of uh, mandate, if you will. How does somebody get started? Like, what do you, what do you say to um, a new family formation even? Yeah, well, I would say the first thing is appreciating the framework. And once you understand that the family financial paradigm is one that can be employed with business principles, I think if you've, you've crossed that chasm, that's a real valuable step. Second is, I would tell you to buy the book. Um, there's lots of good practical aspects to it. The third, I would tell you, is this is not an easy uh, transition. It takes a lot of people many years of practice to get good at it, and so start early. Uh, and I think people are often afraid of action, and I, I would say get out there and do it and be honest with yourself when you've made mistakes so you can course correct. When I when I read through your book, I couldn't help but thinking about Ben Franklin. I don't know. Did you did you read the autobiography of Ben Franklin by any chance? I did not. You didn't? Okay, because what you have in here are his concepts of thrift and getting educated and getting yourself up to speed on a number of different things and discipline. They're big, big concepts in here, you know, paying yourself first, building your asset. You talked about savings versus growth. So tell our listeners what you mean by growing as opposed to just saving. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the name of the game is growing wealth, and there's two ways to do that. One, you can obviously uh, spend less than you're making and incrementally save, uh, and that's an important aspect of wealth creation, but I think there's a lot more leverage. Um, the opportunity to really create significant wealth comes more by making investment choices with your labor and your capital that can really grow your net worth. Uh, I generally like to tell people I'm a, a value investor with my financial capital, and I'm a growth investor with my labor capital. And I think that implies that with your labor capital, you can take some more risks. And you really got to pursue opportunities that um, provide significant um, wealth creation, but also significant skill sets, significant branding opportunities. So what's the singular nugget? What's the most important thing a person can do? Number one, invest in yourself. Um, and I think education. That, ed- well, I think investing in yourself can be education. It can be making the right career choices, not simply because of the economics, but because of the, the experience and the branding opportunity. And I think investing in yourself can be entrepreneurship. It's also the relationships, right? I mean, it's also really trying to dig in and find super high quality relationships and a friendship network around yourself that has sort of the same aspirations and goals. Is that yeah. not? You know, you Absolutely. Address, yeah. You address it, that in the book. And I think one, one thing, uh, just let me point out, you know, um, when I talk about you can run the family like a business. Some people will respond to that negatively, like it's very clinical. And I would say, I think it's a really interesting framework to make informed decisions. It doesn't mean you actually make those choices. You know, a lot of the choices around career um, or, or personal, how you spend your money are very personal. And so my, my view is I want to I encourage people to make informed decisions. And then you overlay those decisions with your values and your passions, and you make the most of it. You, you make the argument that uh, you must manage your career like as a financial asset. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah, I think, I think the problem is um, many people get hung up on how much am I going to make this year, and they make choices that are very short-term focused in that paradigm. And my, my pitch is that um, you know a 20-year-old kid coming out of college uh, probably has um, labor value of about $2 million on average because he's going to work for the next 50 years 
um, you know, making call it sixty thousand on average after tax comes to two million bucks. And so, if you think about it that way, there's a couple key insights. One is there's a real cost to um, sitting on the sidelines, uh, cost over education. And so, this is an asset like a farmer owns crops, and if you don't take advantage of it and harvest it when it's ready, it goes to waste. Uh, and then the second thing is, I think it gets people really focused on the appropriate payback period. And it's not about self-gratification today because you took the job that was uh, slightly better from a compensation perspective. It's about acquiring skills to maximize your lifetime labor value, maximize your employability, as opposed to, you know, what's job uh, pay the best this year. You, you, uh, you have a, an a, a approach to the business a little different from other people because you dislike budgets. So explain to us why you don't like them. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about tools that lead to action. And so my view on budgets is there's a lot of uh, activity around accounting for things and putting things in nice little buckets, and then people don't do much with that information. So for me personally, if I'm looking at a budget, I really care about two numbers, probably one number, which is a savings rate. And then if you ask me to get really technical, I'd tell you I'd be interested in how much of what I'm spending is a fixed cost, like a mortgage or a loan payment versus uh, you know, a, a flexible cost, like going out to dinner, because I think that's a... a gives you a sense of how so much flexibility you have. Let's talk percentages for a second. So on, on, on savings rate, what do you think the... You know, the old rule used to be 10%. Um, I think people live longer, asset uh, returns are going to be lower, and there's less defined benefit programs out there. Arguably, Social Security is in big trouble, so it's not that number. It's probably 15 or 20. And the reality is no one's going to save 20% a year every year throughout their life. Um, sometimes you're investing in the family business and sometimes you're harvesting. But, you know, I think... The better way to answer it is, what kind of spending profile do you want to have when you retire? And then we could back into what does that imply in terms of savings? You, you basically have a brand that you're calling the Family Inc. approach to investing. So explain that to us. Yeah, I think the Family Inc. approach starts with your best investments are the ones in yourself, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, education, um, professional skills. If you look at uh, how you're going to monetize those investments with your labor over a 50-year career, they're going to be way better than the public markets can offer. Uh, the second is, I think it's important to really define what the objective of your investments is. I look at the objective as after-tax, after-fee purchasing power. And if you believe that's the objective and you have a long-term time horizon, that's going to lead you to a significant equity exposure. Uh, and then I'm, I'm generally a fan of low-cost passive investing for big, efficient markets and in the alternative asset class where you can drive consistent alpha or excess return, um, I think you can, you can pursue some active management strategies. So, so in the book, you know, and we, we know this, the national uh, savings rate is not where it should be. Uh, we also uh, know that half of all Americans have no savings, and you list 15 or so things that people could do right away. So what are the three most important things, the three nuggets of advice you could give to people about uh, get get some money in a savings account somewhere. Yeah, so I think I think uh, people get overly fixated about a a secure retirement. And my general view is, while that's a very important goal, uh, there's lots of ways to get there. You can work longer, you can save more late in life, you can consume less. Um, and people underestimate the finan- the risk of financial distress early on, and the significant cost. You know, if you have to uh, endure a bankruptcy. Um, that's really tough to recover from financially. And so my number one advice to folks is uh, you play defense before you play offense. you got to have a short-term savings. Um, you know, I think that's number one. Number two, 
for me, it's back to... So how many months of savings did you have uh, pursuant to your salary? You know, I think a minimum of three months. And if you're in a, a career that, um, you know, may be hard to replace that income or has kind of high um, variable compensation, like commission, uh, could be up to a year. So, I mean, I mean, it's obvious math, but let's just point it out to our listeners. If you have a 10% savings rate, it's going to take you three years to save 3.6 months worth of savings. And so... Mm-hmm. It's a three-year project to get yourself to that three-month uh, cushion. And yeah. it's, it's super hard for people to do. But what I find is that if you get into a good habit early uh, and you make, you make those uh, uh, drops, if you will, if you pay yourself first, as you point out yeah. in the book, uh, that's a way to really get yourself to uh, the road of financial security. T- totally agree. Uh, you know, I, very early in life, I um, you know, had some challenges coming out of business school, had had a tremendous amount of education, and actually had to go to a friend for a loan just to get myself moved down to Manhattan to go to work. And I had missed the, the you know, number one rule of maintain adequate liquidity. Did you pay him back? Yep, with interest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a happy guy right now, you know. One of the problems is when you loan money to friends, man, the first thing I do is i got to put a zero next to it. Yeah. Now, friends out there, if you're looking for loans now, guess what? The answer is no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's keep moving. You have a background in mergers and acquisitions. How did you get there? Uh, you know, kind of. I mean, how'd, how'd you get to that, and then how'd you get here? Let me yeah, rephrase. So, a so, um, little bit of background. So, I'm, I'm a West Point alum. Did my active duty service time. Concluded, I wanted to pursue a career in finance. So, when did you serve in the uh, in, early, in early '90s? Early '90s. Uh, in so, Iraq? No, I was post Iraq one, and candidly, uh, compared to what our soldiers are, are enduring today, I had some easy pickings. So, so I'm happy to have served, uh, but I have a tremendous appreciation for what what our young soldiers are doing today. Um, but, but I concluded, you know, my, my passion was finance. I was an econ undergrad, so I went back to Harvard, and I always knew I wanted to pursue a finance degree. Uh, ultimately went to Morgan Stanley and did mergers and acquisitions. Uh, you know, there's an old saying in investment banking, it's kind of like dog years in terms of experience, and I figured given uh, my active duty experience, it would be a great way to kind of cut my teeth and get exposed to a lot. And, and so when did you leave Morgan Stanley? So I did that for uh, a little more than two years, and... Um, through serendipity, uh, one of the deals that I worked on uh, was with one of my former partners. Uh, we were selling the Texas Ranger baseball team, and uh, he was in that ownership group. So uh, he had an investment fund down in D.C. I joined him uh, in 99. You, you, you talk in the book about wanting to leave, or all of us, frankly, wanting to leave our children with an inheritance. But what are your real, what's your personal opinion of that? Well, I think um, inheritance, you got to look at it as an asset and a liability. And I think when you go into that discussion, you have to acknowledge that um, with wealth, uh, it, it creates great opportunity for the next generation, but it can also create some really perverse uh, behaviors and incentives. There's a paradox to uh, the giving of money to people. It's a paradox giving money to a charity. They expect more. Yep. The paradox of giving money to your children because all of a sudden they become entitled and they feel, well, that's something that uh, they're owed. Uh, and so what it does is it has a little bit of a uh, weakening. It weakens their resolve and their incentive. To- totally agree. And they lose some yeah. sight of the value of the yeah. money as well. So I, I think if, you know, as you think about inheritance, if you're going to uh, bestow capital, I think you got to work really hard to also bestow values. And so who's done a good job of that? Who's Any done families a good job? that you can think of, uh, high-profile families? High-profile families. Well, um, you know, I... I I, I would say I see some common themes in, in families that have um, created wealth over multiple generations. And I think one is um, a real commitment to education. 
because that when you pursue a commitment to education, no matter how much wealth you have, there's always something to strive for. And I think the second is getting the kids involved with the business early and making sure that they feel like they had to cut their teeth and they weren't given something as opposed to earning something. Have you ever had to uh, induce shock therapy to a client? Let's say you had a super wealthy person <laughs> that was lavishing their kids where you had to say, hey, man, this ain't working. Yeah, no, no, I haven't uh, only because, you know, I, I have very little dealings with um, – you know, high net worth families. Most of my clients are pension funds and insurance companies. Um, so um, I've, I've not had to navigate that challenging dynamic. There's a big problem in our country, at least in my opinion, that we are um, undereducated as it relates to financial literacy. Do you agree with that? I think this is one of the biggest uh, shortcomings of our financial system today. I think the game has fundamentally changed from my granddad and your granddad. It used to be that if you had a good job, that was highly correlated with financial security. Um, you likely had one or two jobs when you retired. Your time between retirement and death was probably not very long, candidly. Mm-hmm. And you had a defined pension benefit. Today, uh, the game has changed. It's one of entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. one of um, you know independence. Well, let's provide a little bit of historical context. I think this is super important. After World War II, our society directly benefited from a lack of industrialization on the two other major continents that were producing things. Devastation in Japan and most of Asia, complete devastation in continental Europe. And so we were left as the last burgeoning industrial capitalist democracy. And so what this did was it created a tremendous amount of demand for labor where uh, guys like my dad got what I describe as light blue-collar jobs, meaning their wages weren't quite white-collar, but they were light blue. It was a mixture of white-collar wage with uh, blue-collar work ethic, Uh, and this was a direct result of that demand. Now that we've had all this massive globalization, uh, there's so much competition for that that it's priced those people at a lower uh, level. Uh, Totally agree. And and so I I actually priced at my dad's uh, uh, numbers, uh, what he made in 1975, and adjusted them to $2,016. His real wage would be down about 45% direct result of industrialization of the rest of the world and globalization. And so our standard of living would have dropped precipitously. We would have fallen effectively out of the middle class. Yeah, no, it's a a challenging situation. And I think if you look at um, the school systems, they really haven't changed. It used to be if I gave you a basic set of capabilities around basic math and science and liberal arts, the companies would take the responsibility to train you in the endeavor that you were going to be employed for doesn't work that way anymore. So let's say you had a 20-year-old, or let's say you had a, let me give it an age range, 15 to 20-year-old. Yep. Said, okay, you got to get up to speed. You got to become financially literate. What should they do? Read your book, number one, but let's go to the rest of the yeah, list. Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, education, again, um, but I think when you think about education, I, I think one of the big challenges for our younger generation is education is likely the single biggest investment they're ever going to make. And no one's talking to them about how their majors and their curriculum translates into compensation. And so, you know, if I've got somebody in that, you know, kind of 20-year-old group, I want to really engage hard around what courses are they taking, what's the curriculum, and how do they intend to monetize it. The second thing I want to talk to them about is is a concept you brought up, which is think more holistically about your brand and your skill sets. So what relationships are you developing? What experiences are you developing that's going to speak to who you are becoming? Brand is particularly important for a younger person because you don't have much past performance to go on. So an opportunity, like you said, in your, early in your career to work for a great financial firm matters. 
you, you, you mentioned that you and your dad started talking about money when you were seven years old. Yeah. So tell us that story. So, so my dad's an educator by trade and uh, a stock investor by hobby. Um, and so he took a sabbatical when I was seven, and we traveled across country. And the pitch he made to my brother and I was that he would buy us stock in one business that we saw over the sabbatical. And so somewhere out west, um, we toured a gold mine, and I ended up buying Homestake Gold Mine stock. Um, and that was the begin of, beginning of my love affair, love affair with the markets. First of all, this was 1976. Inflation was uh, horrendous, and gold stock performed very well. So success probably breathed some of that um, attraction to the markets. Uh, but also, it made something very um, tangible for me. And all of a sudden, I realized that as a stockholder, you really own real assets and people that work for the company. And Fractional ownership of that business. Yeah. Yeah. And so that all of a sudden for a seven-year-old's ability to comprehend, it kind of started to make a little bit of sense. And I, I actually had a great deal of pride for being a small owner. Do you remember what your brother bought? Uh, of course I do. Uh, so I'll give him a hard time here. He bought Barnum and Bailey Brothers Circus. Now that was actually owned by a toy store and it didn't do well. And so the reason I remember that is because mine did and his didn't. And so um, that's still a, so, a source so, of great So discussion. that was 1976. So for 40 straight years, you've been rubbing that in. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. Make it burn. Man. <laughs> I have an older brother. I want you to make it burn. Okay. Uh, besides Harvard Business School, you graduated from West Point uh, Military Academy, uh, which are unbelievable schools. So uh, God Painful. bless you for that. Painful. It shows, you, yeah. <laughs> shows your work ethic and your discipline. Uh, what did you learn from those schools? Yeah, so I, uh, let me, I'll hit West Point first. I think... Um, you know, I learned humility uh, because the program's set up to guarantee failure uh, from everyone. And the follow-on corollary to that is once you've uh, learned to deal with failure a little bit, you realize that's actually an opportunity for growth. And most of us grow the most under a period of uh, hardship. Um, and I think that the second thing I learned there was um, uh, life is a team sport. And we had a saying that was cooperate and graduate. Uh, but I found that you know, great things, whether it be in business or in family or in, in personal accomplishments, come through uh, teamwork. Well, listen, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, when I, I, I was trained at Goldman Sachs, a gentleman by the name of Bill Groover, who was a naval commander, he actually had a submarine uh, during the Vietnam War. And his attitude was he put us all in like a row of desks, and we used to call it the swamp. And what he would do is he would give you a level of work that was completely impossible for you to finish. And so what you had to do is you had to reach out to the guys around you, men and women, and say, hey, you got to stay with me over the weekend and help me finish this, otherwise I'm going to get fired. Yeah. And so what it did was those guys looked around and said, of course I'm doing that because next weekend you're going to be staying with me to do the project. You know. And so what he did was he created this tremendous bonding experience with people that were supposed to be competing with each other. Uh, they became cooperators as opposed to competitive. And so when they got out into the field, uh, they had those shared bonding experiences. Did that happen a lot at West Point? It happens a lot at West Point. Uh, I think it's reaffirmed in my actual active duty time. Uh, candidly, I think it's a, a challenge with today's society. I think technology um, allows us to be more isolated and independent um, as individuals in a society. And um, um, you, you may have read Tribe. Uh, it's a recent book out. Mm -hmm. It, it kind of speaks to... Um, some of the lack of community that results from our, our current wealth, but also our technology. I haven't read it, but that would be on your reading list? It would. It what, would. Other, what other books do you really like that strike you? Uh, In um, addition to Family, Inc. by Douglas Peterson. Yeah, so, so I got to say, I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd. So, uh, you know, I go on vacation and I take stuff that I'm, I'm interested in professionally. So, you know, I think I've read almost every 
every uh, financial press book out there. Um, so when other people are asking me if, if they were going to complement their financial learning with um, other readings, I'm a big Jeremy Siegel fan. I think sure. his, uh, his stocks for the long run, stocks for long historical run. analysis of stocks, a University of Wharton uh, business school professor. Yeah, and it's a, it's a real great pickup line, you know, when you're out on vacation too. So, you're you're uh, you you're going to write another book? You know, I don't think so. Um, I felt really passionate that I had something to say here, and that there was a need for this book. I think this is a huge problem in America today. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the work, but I'm not sure I have anything else to say. Well, I see a whole course uh, developing. This could be a uh, this could be a senior high school course. I think freshman. it should be. I think it should, it should be. be this, this is a whole curriculum here uh, that we could give people the skill set and the tools to think about their own financial independence and their own self reliance. And the hallmark of your book, which I love, is pay yourself first. Think about yourself as your own business. Think like an entrepreneur. Be willing to take risks, but also build a network people to help support you. Uh, you wrote a fabulous book. Uh, I encourage everybody to go out and buy it. I download it on your iPad, Family Inc. by Douglas P. McCormick. I want to thank Doug for joining TMI today. Uh, as I mentioned, the book is called Family Inc. It's published by Wiley. Uh, to learn more about Doug, you can go to his LinkedIn page. Uh, so it's obviously www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Douglas McCormick. You can follow Doug on Twitter, so that's Doug underscore McCormick. Uh, I want to thank you, Doug. Remember to email us at Anthony Scaramucci, or excuse me, you can email me, Anthony Scaramucci, at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Scaramucci. Uh, don't forget to watch Wall Street Week. And by the way, if you're not watching Wall Street Week and you have a spare bedroom, can you please put it on in your spare bedroom? <laughs> I still get the ratings if you do that for me. I'd be very grateful. Uh, it's on Friday nights, 8 p.m., Saturday at 9 a.m., and again on Sunday. Uh, be sure to subscribe to these podcasts. Uh, uh, TMI is available to you on iTunes. Uh, go and rate and review it so we can continue to bring you the content that matters. Also, if you don't mind, Please share these podcasts with your friends and coworkers who you think would enjoy listening to them. Uh, we've got some wacky, wild, and today very insightful stories to tell you. Until next time, have a prosperous week. Thank you, Douglas McCormick. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate being here.